If you've got your Bibles, I want you to take them. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Help your neighbor find it. Find the Psalms, turn to the right. You'll have Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Are you familiar with this book? We, we need to get familiar here. Uh, all right, tonight, we're going we're gonna to talk about some big questions here tonight. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It just deals with one question. A lot of books deal with many things. They teach many things. This book deals with one question. And it's, it's an entire book that he put in the Bible to cause me and you to think about one thing. <clears throat> Let me ask y'all a question. Don't, don't say it out loud, but just answer. Do you, uh, we're in the hustle and bustle of American daily life and what we've made it out to be now. So busy with kids and school and work and cooking and, and you know, b- putting our face in the wrong book all the time, all that kind of stuff. Do you ever just sit down and get quiet and just ask yourself the big questions? We don't do this much anymore. Uh, this, this was another generation that did this. But uh, does anybody ask the big questions anymore? Let me, let me mention to you several of the big questions and tell me if you ever think about these things. Why am I here? Why am I here? Number two, what is the meaning of life? Do I just eat and work? And what is the meaning of life? Number three, am I doing what I was created to do? Am I doing what I was created to do? Or am I doing something else? Number four, what is a successful life? And 4B, who gets to decide? What is a successful life? Number five, what is a great life? Surely you know the difference that that greatness and famous are two different things. Lady Gaga is famous. Mother Teresa was great. Big difference. And then let me ask you one more. Well, let let me break this one down into two parts. Is anybody going to croak one day? You're sure? Now, there's some things that preachers don't agree with preachers about, but most of them agree with us on this one. As far as I, you know, I'm a statistic nut. And so far, one out of one people that's born dies. So far, so good or bad, whichever. But I want to ask you this question. Uh, When I get to the end of my life and I will get there someday, will I have regrets or rewards or both? And when I get there, what's going to happen? I mean, regrets or rewards. One of the strange verses in the Bible that Jesus spoke numerous times over and over, and you hear people quote it. I think most folks have missed it where Jesus spoke about the last day, end of, the time, end of our lives. And he said this, and that many there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That gnashing of teeth sort of caught me off guard when I first heard that. Well, most people interpret that, that there'll be pain. I don't think it's pain. I think it's regret. Gnash your teeth and regret when you see things the way they are and look back on life. Well, these are what we call the big questions in life. And most people, believe it or not, rush through life so uh, helter-skelter, so frantically that they never just sit down and stop and say, let me think about this for a minute. Let me contemplate this. Let me tell you what the Bible says about thinking about thoughts like this. Psalm 92, 10. Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Help me to stop now and look ahead and think about it. To apply our hearts to wisdom. All right. <clears throat> Here's a simple question now. Where am I going to find the... Where am I going to find the answers to these questions? Am I going to call the professor or Oprah? Or? One of the most fascinating things I ever heard. And I heard this years ago, a doctoral student at a university. He was a philosophy student working on his PhD in philosophy. And he wrote 200 letters to 200 of the world's greatest thinkers that he could identify. And he asked them one question, what's the meaning of life? And these were the greatest thinkers on the planet at the time. Uh, not all of them answered him back, but of those that answered back, I was surprised at the answer. Those that answered back, 70% gave the same answer. Their answer was, we don't know. If the smartest people on earth don't know what the meaning of life is, what's a truck driver from Hall River going to do? Obviously, you, you know, I believe that we've got a book that answers these questions. And it better, it better be the answers because I've staked my life on it and you have too. All right, today we want to deal with one. Well, let's deal with number two today. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? The book of Ecclesiastes is written by God and put in the Bible and it deals with one question. What is the meaning of life? 
That's all it is. All right, it's written by a man named Solomon, if you're familiar with Solomon. Solomon was, uh, Solomon's father was David. He was the king in front of him, greatest king that ever ruled in world history. Many historians agree with that. All right, Solomon, I mean, excuse me, David stole a man's wife, killed him, and they had a baby. That baby died. They had another baby. That baby's name was Solomon. And Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. His father was David. He was the next king after his father. Solomon's one of the most unique creatures in world history. He wrote three books in the Bible. He wrote one when he was a young man, one when he was a middle-aged man, one when he was an old man. What do you, two things stand out about Solomon. He is the wealthiest human being to ever live in world history, even in comparative dollars. He had more money than Elon Musk has got. Secondly, he is still considered by historians to be the wisest man that ever lived. Some people would say the smartest man, the word's actually wise. He wrote three books. He wrote the first book, Song of Solomon, when he was a young man. And it was a book of passionate romance and love between him and his sweetheart, the Shunammite. But it's a picture of Jesus and the church. He wrote the book of Proverbs when he was a middle-aged man, which is the greatest book ever written. If you want to have a good life, learn the Proverbs. Because technology changes, cars change, cell phones change. They don't have cords to the wall anymore. But the way to live with people never changes. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. But as an old man, he wrote another book called Ecclesiastes. As an old fool, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a, I tell you what this book has always been for me. It is magnetic north for life. Y'all know what, I mean, we're at GPS today. You, old, you younger folks don't know what magnetic north is. But when I was a boy learning how to hunt, being the outdoors, my uncle that raised me, he, he gave me a compass. He said, now you put that right there. That's all what, that thing always shows you magnetic north. And then you know where you need to go by finding magnetic north. Ecclesiastes is magnetic north for life. It always points you in the right direction so that you can gauge your life in every direction around it. And it has a tremendous theme. And I just, it has, does anybody know what the key word in the book of Ecclesiastes, it uses it over and over. Does anybody know what the key word is? Vanity. It's the book of vanity. Uh, we would say wasted life. Read with me chapter one, verse one. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Is he, is he having a bad day here? All right, the word vanity, uh, frustration, futility, nonsense, wasted life. And he, he just having a bad, he said, it's all wasted. It's all vanity. Uh, let's read a couple more verses. Verse three, what profit does a man have from all this labor in which he works under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. What good does it do to work hard? You're gonna die one day. He's having a bad day, isn't he? No, he's not having a bad day. Remember, God wrote this, Solomon just penned it. But he's talking about the vanity and the absurdity or whatever you wanna call it of life apart from your creator. It just talks about how vain it, no matter what you do, if your creator is not at the center of life, no matter what you do or accomplish, it's, it's just a wasted life. It's vanity. And then he goes on to talk about how we waste our lives. This never changes. I mean, this was written way, way before Jesus, but how we live and the reason we live never changes. We drive different cars, but nothing ever changes in the way we live. And I want you to look at some of the things he spoke that are wasted. Look with me in uh, chapter one. Um, let's put in about verse 13, the vanity of education, the vanity of knowledge. Let me pause before we read this. What, what is our nation? We're the information age and we are so consumed with knowledge and information today. And our nation worships information. We, we study all the time. We read the news all the time. We're learning all the time. We worship information. Is that what makes a great life? Read with me in verse 13 of chapter one. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This is a burdensome task. What do you say? I wanted to be the smartest man that ever lived and it like killed me. Look at me in verse 16. I commune with my heart saying, look, I've attained greatness. I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me. So he's the smartest man that ever lived in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. I set my heart to know wisdom, to know and to know madness and folly, I perceive this also is grasping of the wind. Grasping of the wind is another Hebrew term for a wasted life. How many of you can grab the wind and hold on to it? He said this, to try to find meaning in life by being smart and being educated is like trying to grab the wind. 
you're wasting your life. It's wasted. I've known people that earn PhDs, which is the highest level of education you can gain uh, in, in our land. Of course, it started in England. Highest level of education you can get. I've known PhDs whose lives were a train wreck. They were brilliant. They're very smart, but their lives were a mess. And it, I'm not anti-education. My wife and both daughters are teachers. We started school here, but, but he's saying that education for the sake of education is foolishness. It's vanity. Now, my grandpa never got through the sixth grade but he owned his own sawmill all his life, had a wonderful life, wonderful marriage, great family, happy man, left a great legacy, went on to be with Jesus. And he only went through the sixth grade. Education is not the secret to life. Nothing wrong with it, but it's not the secret to life. So let me pose another question. Since this is question night, um, let, me, let me pose another question here. What is the purpose of education? What is the real purpose of education? You know, we require children here to go to school until they're 16 years old. What is the purpose of education? We started school at our church here. What is the purpose of education? So, Brother Brian, you, you get a good education, so you can get a... I was talking to a lady one time, and she was upset with her daughter who wanted to do something that didn't require college. She said, I want you to talk to her. And I said, why do y'all always want me to talk to your kids? You talk to them. She said, I want you to talk to her and make her go to college. I said, I don't have to pay for it, do I? <laughs> I said, uh, let me ask you a question. Why do you want her to go to college? She said, really, preacher? I said, really, ma'am? She said, so she can get a good job. I said, so? So she can make a good living. I said, and then? Well, so she can buy some things. I said, and? And I ran her all the way out to that girl's death, and she just stood there and looked at me funny. I said, you, I think you're the one that needs talking to. Is that the purpose of education so we can get a good job, make a lot of money, buy a bunch of junk, spend all our time dusting it instead of visiting people? Croak, let our kids fight over it? That's the purpose of education? So I want to get an education so I can impress people with how smart I am. <laughs> it's not going to work. We need to start asking questions like, why do I do what I do? Why do I do these things? And I want you to see what he said here. All the knowledge in the world is wasted apart from Christ. If God's not at the center of your world. And then he mentions, <laughs> he mentions the big three. You all know what the big three are? All through the Bible, you find three things together. And they're the three things that have destroyed more lives, hurt more homes, broken up more marriages. The three things that our enemy uses to hurt people more. And he mentions all three of them and he did every one of them. Read with me. First in the Ecclesiastes chapter two, I said in my heart, come, I will test you with mirth. Y'all know what mirth is? Y'all ever have mirth? You, you don't smoke it. Mirth is, uh, <laughs> mirth is, that's our word for happiness. I just want to be happy. He said, I just want to find happiness. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But this was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of happiness, what does it accomplish? So he, you know, a lot of people just have a goal in life. I just want to be happy. <clears throat> Good luck. Is that really the reason we were put on this planet? Just to laugh a lot? Jimmy Buffett Jr.? All right, verse three. Here's some other folks like this. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. Maybe know the secret to life is not wine. While guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days. He said, I'm trying to figure out what life's about. You know, I, I tried to be happy. Now I'm drinking heavy. I made, verse four, watch this. I made my works great. I built myself houses and he did build houses. He built the largest homes in the world at the time. He had multiple houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made gardens, orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. He didn't make water pools. He built aqueducts to water his, this is the most accomplished man in the world at the time. I acquired male and female servants, had servants born in my house. I had greater possessions and herds and flocks than all were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered silver and gold, special treasures of kings, provinces. I got male and female singers, the delights of sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. He created musical instruments when they ran out. I became great and excelled all the who were before me and my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, whatever my eye desired, it did not keep from them. Whatever I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And there's an advantage he had over me and you. Even if we wanted to do all this stuff, we probably couldn't do it. He had the money to do it. 
He had the, the position to do it. He said, everything I ever thought I wanted, I did it. I drank, I partied. By the way, he, was, he had 700 wives. And they called him the world's smartest man. I agree with that great hymn years ago, trying to love two women like a ball and chain. He had 700 wives. He, gratified, he said, I gratified my flesh. Beautiful homes. Everything any human could want, I could afford it and do it. He said, I did it all. Watch what he says about it all. Verse 11, then I looked all of the works that my hands had done, the labor in which I'd told. It was all vanity, grasping for the wind, no profit under the sun. He got done doing everything every human wishes they could do. And he got done and he said, I've wasted my life. It brings me no real meaning. There's no real joy in this. He said, it, it, everything I do, I thought I wanted. After a while, it just wears off. It didn't work. Now, I hope you caught the big three in there. There are three things that our nation and most people spend their lives pursuing, thinking, if I could just get this, I'd find happiness. I'd find fulfillment. But guess what? Never works. I want you to turn with me. Let's look at him. First John chapter two in the New Testament. See if these are not the three things that people live and die for in our land today. First John chapter two, everybody's going to live for something. Everybody's going to, everybody wants something. Everybody gets up with, for a reason. And there's got to be, there's got to be something that drives us. In first John chapter two, a lot of people read this completely backwards. I want you to listen to the heart of your father. I want you to listen to the, listen to me, listen to me. God is not fussing because you're not in the right way. He's trying to get you to a great place. He didn't come to mess your life up. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to listen to that again. Jesus said, my purpose in coming to the earth was so you could have life more abundantly. Well, let me ask you a question. How come so few folks have got it? We're getting hung up on stuff that doesn't bring what we're really looking for. Just like Solomon. I've tried this and I've tried that and it's really not what I was looking for. But the big three are found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world or the things in the world. Now, when he talks about the world, you know, he's not talking about the ball, the planet. We're to respect the planet. You know, he's not talking about the people because God so loved the world. Talking about the people of the world. He's talking about what this world values, cultural values. He said, don't fall in love with what everybody else thinks is great. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And then here's the list. All that's in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's not of the Father. That comes from the world. Look at those three things. The lust of the flesh, pleasure. It can be sex or cheeseburgers. It doesn't matter. You know, pleasure. What is the lust of the eyes? Materialism. Money and the things money can buy. Of course, the pride of life, I am somebody. Fame. What do we call it? Sex, money, and fame. You say, wait a minute, brother. I thought God created sex. He sure did. And he wants you to enjoy it. But listen to me. If it's not, if he is not at the center of everything, sex will destroy your nation. It'll destroy your home. It'll break your heart. When, it, when, when you say you're the Lord of everything and he gives it to you, it's wonderful. When you kick him out, what he gave you will kill you. He said, Brother Mike, I've heard you say that the Lord wants to bless us financially. He does. Money is a great servant. It'll kill you as a master. Listen, when, when you start serving money, instead of making your money serve you, it will own you. The, great, the, first great, uh, the, you know, the first great Elon Musk in our country was asked one time, how many more million do you need? Do you remember his famous answer? One more. And he died needing one more. And so those are the big three. It's... it's unbridled, just, I just, I just want to turn it all loose. Have at it. The desire for money and fame. There's nothing wrong with enjoying everything God created. The Bible said God created food to be received with thanksgiving. God created sex to be enjoyed in marriage. God created every pleasure and he gave us pleasure. He created things to bless us with and he promised to bless us with things. And he has raised people up and given them a name to bless him with. But when I kick him out of it, all that stuff destroys me and it leaves me empty. If he's not at the center, it don't work. Uh, I, I'm a teenage boy, long time ago. And there were three great people in the nation at that time. Uh, the world's most beautiful woman, the world's greatest singer, and the world's richest man. 
And it was hands down. There might be some discussion today, but there's no discussion back then. The woman's name was? There's some old people here tonight. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe's the most beautiful woman ever lived. Hands down, she was the Queen Charlene in those days. The world's greatest singer, the man with the blue suede shoes. There has never been an Elvis. I'm not a big Elvis fan, but there's never been anybody that enjoyed the fame he enjoyed. He's the most famous singer, hands down. He was it. The world's richest man, Howard Hughes, owned Hughes Lockheed Aircraft. If anybody had a life, those three should have had a life because those are the three things. Marilyn Monroe took her own life. So miserable, she killed herself. Elvis Presley died on drugs, reading a book in his bathroom about the supposed skeletal remains of Jesus. His brother Rick said he's the most miserable man I've ever met in private. Howard Hughes taped himself inside his mansion, put black plastic on the windows, and died a miserable death. Dear ones, if, if, if sex and money and fame was the answer, they should have had it all. Why do we keep falling for this stuff? Vanity. A wasted life. If you live for that stuff, there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. But if that gets on the throne of your life, it'll make you miserable. And th this is, uh, let, let me show you something here. Verse 16, all that's in the flesh is not of the world. Verse 17, the world is temporary. The, these things, the lust of it. But he who puts God at the center of his life will have something forever. You, you live your life like Mick Jagger. And you, let me tell you something. If you live like Mick Jagger, you ain't never going to get no satisfaction. I don't care if you try and try. You said, we well, never tried. Yes, he did. I remember I was stuck. I was shocked. He's 70 some years old and he got in trouble for chasing a 16 year old and he's miserable. There was a, this passes away. It's a temporary buzz. It's, it's just a temporary buzz. But now let me show you something. A lot of people have misread this. Look back in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I've heard fundamental preachers talk about how rotten you are if you love that stuff. No, no, no. Go back and read it again. It was if this stuff appeals to you, you haven't experienced God yet. If, the, if you love this stuff, you haven't experienced the love of God yet. Let me put it in language you can understand. My sweetheart, who's a world-famous cook, come to my house for Thanksgiving dinner, and we're going to stuff you full. I'm, we're going to stuff you full, and then we're going to cram some more in. And you're going to come out of there blessed, high-quality gourmet food blessed, and you come out the door, and here's some beggar, and he's got a stale saltine in his hand says, I'll share it with you. Do you really have to resist temptation there? It's not hard for me to say, no, thank you. I was so full of what came off that table. I ain't eating that junk. That's exactly what it means. You ever experience what God's planned for you and the goodness of God? This, this, world, this junk will look like the junk it is. It's fool's gold. We shouldn't fuss at people. Don't fuss at people for drinking out of that trough. They're thirsty. Jesus didn't fuss at people for pursuing stuff. Jesus said, I'll give you something better. The woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? Woman at the Walmart at the well? <laughs> this woman was the town whore. She slept with everybody in town. She'd, she was the pass around. She's out there. And Jesus came up to her and Jesus said, what? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why you do stuff like this? He didn't say that to her. What did he say? You keep living like that. You keep drinking this water. You'll thirst again. Drink the water I give you. You'll never thirst again. What did he say to her? This lifestyle you're pursuing will never satisfy your heart. I'll do it. He didn't fuss at her because what she was doing. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's, everybody's looking for something. And if we don't know what Jesus can do in a heart and take over a life, what Jesus can do in a life, you're going to drink out of some mud puddle somewhere. Quit fussing at people for drinking out of the mud puddle. Show them something better. And Jesus was so gracious to her. And guess what happened to her? She found out that this is the man right here. It just took me a long while. I went through a bunch of men, but I have found the man. And he satisfied the deepest longings of her heart. And then she went back in town and told all the men, you need to come see a real man. I bet you them dudes turned their wives and said, I don't, know, I don't know who she is. I got no idea who that woman is right there. <laughs> Didn't want to listen to me. We got to quit beating people up because of the way they live. Anybody that doesn't just pursue Jesus just hadn't experienced him. If you love this world, it's because you hadn't tasted the love of the Father. All right, those three. Turn back with me to Ecclesiastes. Oh, I, I messed you up if you can find it. Let's go back to Psalms. We'll turn right and go through Proverbs again. All right, that's, those big three. Can I ask you a question? What is America pursuing right now? 
lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. I want to be famous. American Idol, I want to be famous. All right, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 30. He said, all these things your culture seeks. This is what everybody pursues in life. It's why they go to school. It's why people do this stuff. But you seek first the kingdom of God. You chase me and what I want to do in your life and through your life. And then what do you say? What's the, what's the bonus? You'll get all these things. You put me at the center of your life and you let me run your life and you, you live for what I'm living for to help people. I'll give you all that stuff. All these things will be added to you. Don't chase what everybody else is chasing. Chase me. And I'll give you what they're pursuing. But the main thing is your life will have quality and it'll count. All right. <clears throat> I remember, remember a guy named Roy Clark. You might remember Roy Clark. Yeah. That's a guitar playing fool. He wrote one of the, uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a prophetic song for our generation right now called Yesterday When I Was Young. The taste of life was sweet. Like, and it's a song of a man who got old and looked back on his life and it was just bitter, bitter regret. Well, it's a sad song. Uh, when I was a boy growing up, my favorite, I hate to admit this, I, I was a Yankees fan when I was a boy. I'll probably get fired. But Mickey Mantle was my favorite player. And I watched Mickey Mantle when I was a little boy. Mickey Mantle's a great player. But Mickey Mantle was a man that... Uh, he was a great athlete, but he couldn't manage his life. Became an alcoholic, killed himself drinking. And Mickey Mantle, as he died, anybody, see, whoever was handling his affairs, said, you got to okay? He said, I got one request. I want Roy Clark to play that song at my funeral. And Roy Clark played that song of regret, how that I wasted my life. Why? Because I pursued the wrong things. Here's the problem with wasting your life. You don't get to go back to go. This is it. That's why he said, teach us to number our days now so we can plow our hearts to wisdom. And uh, we want it to be empty. All right. Now listen to what he teaches. He goes on to say, he said, listen, guys, let me, let me help y'all. Been there, done that. Tell me what you're looking for. I've done it. Is it wild sex? 700 wives. Is it homes? Come look at mine. Is it money? You'll never match what I've got. Is it rock music? I, I made the instruments. Is it knowledge? Ask me any question. All that's wasted. And then he shifts gears. And he said, however, however, <clears throat> life finds meaning with somebody at the center. Look at me in chapter two. Chapter two, verse 24. You're going to see a great shift now from the sadness of vanity to the joy. Chapter two, verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This I saw was from the hand of God. Who can eat? Who can have enjoyment more than I? God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Did Job make the connection there? So Brother Brian, I knew he gave wisdom and knowledge. What else does he give? God gives joy to a man who is good in his sight. What did he say right there? He adjusted his life before those verses. He said, I've got God back at the center of my life. I love my job. I love my dinner. God's put joy in my life. Nothing changed in his life. He just put Jesus right in the center of it. He put his father in the center of his life. And uh, it, it, everything worked out. Everything started working when he got it there. Demons, here's the simple message. Only when God is at the center does life have meaning and purpose and contentment and joy. That's it. We need to, it's not about what are you going to do with your life. I don't care if you're a preacher or you're a clerk in Walmart. That's not the issue. Who's at the center? Why do you get up in the mornings? Why do you get up in the mornings? I want you to listen to one of the strangest verses Jesus ever spoke. And it's a verse, it's a life altering verse. And Jesus said this in John 6, 27, labor not for the meat, the food that perishes, but labor for the meat that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. What did Jesus say? Don't live for stuff's going to disappear one day. You live for the eternal stuff. Get up every day of your life and live for the eternal stuff. So I'm not, I'm not going to make the beds anymore. The house is going to burn one day. Now, that's not. You make your bed to the glory of God. Or whatever your hand. Matter of fact, this book has it in it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might to the glory of God. It's just the reason you get up. It's the reason you drive the bus. It's the reason you do everything. It's, it's Christ at the center. And then when you do that, everything just shifts. Something just happens. 
Uh, we want to live for the meat that endures to eternity. Uh, I got I to get quick. We had to get to the good part here. I right, look with me in chapter three. I want to I walk you through a few things that he says here. This is a picture of a man who lived without God at the center of his life. And he, it just didn't work no matter what he did. And then all of a sudden he made one shift. Listen, he did not become religious. He just fell in love with Jesus and put him at the center. And everything in his life fell in place. I want you to look with me at chapter three, verse 10, one of my favorite verses. I have seen the God-given task with which the son of men to be occupied. My, my, what'd that say? I can choose to do what I want to do in life or I can say, what do you want me to do in life? The God-given tasks. Well, am I doing what I was put on this planet to do? Or am I doing what I want to do on this planet? They was listen to me. It's not about bad or good. It's not about bad or good. You say I'm a good person. That's not the issue. Are you letting him do what you were created to do through you? Have you found his purpose for your life? Whatever it is. I've seen the God-given task with which men are to be occupied. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Boy, that burns religion, doesn't it? Let me tell you, the greatest, one of the greatest lies ever told, if I give my life to Christ, he'll ruin it. He'll make me date ugly women. He'll make me listen to organ music. I'll have to frown all the time like preachers. He'll just ruin my life. Wait a minute, what does that say? He's not asking for your life so he can ruin it. What's he going to do with your life? He makes everything beautiful in his time. One of the most, uh, what's the word I'm trying to find here? One of the most difficult things Jesus ever said is, is in Mark chapter 8 when he said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who will lose his life for my sake will find it. Listen to what he said. You, you kick me out of your life. You, you don't honor me. You don't want to follow me. And I'm not going to be ugly to you. But your life's going to come up short. I don't care who you are. But the day you do abandon your life to me and say, you take over, you're going to find what you were looking for and more. He who seeks to lose his life for my sake will find it. Now, see, I was taught as a young man because I'd been around religious people. If you become religious and go to church, life will be terrible. You'll be as mean as they are and empty as they are, miserable as they are. And you can't even fish on Sundays anymore. Y'all knew that was a law back then. Couldn't fish on Sundays. Sundays were created for fishing and worship. Worship first, then fishing. I've had preachers ask me, y'all don't have Sunday night service at church? I said, no. They're not doing what I say on Sunday mornings yet. I'm not going to give them anything else. My gosh. Sunday nights are for family or fishing. I'd much rather you, you come worship on Sunday morning. Let me fuss at you Sunday morning. Sunday evenings, go see your family. Or go fishing. And, and if it's good, call me. <laughs> he's made everything beautiful in its time. Now watch these words. I've quoted this to many a person. He's put eternity in their hearts. People don't believe in God. I'll just look at them and say, yes, you do. Your head might argue, but there's something down here that knows when I fall over, it ain't over. He didn't put eternity in your head. There was eternity doesn't make sense up here intellectually, but there's something in your heart that says there's more to this life than just what I can see because he's put eternity in their hearts. Brooks and Dunn, those great hymn writers, boy, they got this one right. You can't tell me it all ends with a slow ride in a hearse. There's just got to be more than this. Thank God there is. Thank God there's more to this life than just when my body falls over. Could you imagine if all we had was this little three seconds on this planet? All they made me and you heard was folks my age and older talking about that. Verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and do good in their lives. Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. This is the gift of God. You know what God wants to do with your life? Right there it is. I love those verses. There is nothing better to life than to rejoice and do good in your life. Eat and drink and enjoy the good of your job. God gave you that. Do you see where he wants to make your life miserable and aggravate you and make you crotchety and religious? Where's all this eat, drink, enjoy your life, enjoy your job, celebrate. Here's the greatest deal you've ever been offered. Keep your life. It might work out. It might not. Give it to me and watch what I do with it. Put me at the center and watch what happens in life. I, I love this. I've always loved this book. Tremendous verses. Look with me in chapter five. Real quick, verse 18, chapter five, verse 18. Here's what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. This is your inheritance. 
Your inheritance from God is to eat your breakfast, go to work, enjoy your job, celebrate, enjoy your life. This is God's gift to you. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. They say, Brother Brown, I'm not rich. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you own a home? Do you have two cars? You have a computer and air conditioning? You're in the top 4% of the world's wealth. We're pretty wealthy over here. We just don't know how to look at it. And this is all the goodness of the, let's read one more. The next one there, verse 20. He will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with what? Working in a nursery? (laughs) The joy of his heart. You abandon your life to God. What's he going to keep you busy with? The joy of your heart. Let me quote it to you another way. Psalm 40, verse eight. I delight to do your will. And your plans are in the center of my heart. Did you ever just put Jesus at the center of your life and say, I don't care. I don't care. Take over. You'll find what you're looking for. And it'll be a life of joy. You notice how many times he uses the word joy in this book? Do you notice he never used the word joy? He showed no joy whatsoever when he was drinking all that wine. I'm not against wine. Drinking all that wine, building all those buildings, making all that money, trying to keep them 700 women happy. I understand why there was no joy in that. Did you see any joy? I just saw vanity. Notice when he put Jesus at the center, what do you hear? Joy, 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 joy. How things have shifted. He made one decision. You're at the center of everything. You run everything. That's that's all he did. Let me do a couple more real quick. Now, chapter nine, verse seven. Now you've heard me quote this before. I love this one right here. Go eat your bread with joy. Y'all do that. Turn off TV so you can eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart. God has already accepted your works. You're you're saved. You're a child of the living God. Let your garments always be white. Let your head lack no oil. Head lack no oil means show joy. Now, you don't have to wear white clothes all the time. It just means wear bright clothes. My goodness, I never understood why preachers wear black suits. I don't understand why they wear suits at all. But the Bible says this. Verse 9, what's this? Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. For the first five or 10 years of your marriage, (laughs) then y'all fight like cats and dogs when that old battle axe starts grunting. Is that what it says? (laughs) Live joyfully. You notice how the word joy keeps coming up in here. Live joyfully with the wife of you or you all the days of your vein. Now vein just means short. It's Hebrew word for short. You say, brother, my life's not short. I'm 92 years old. That's three seconds. The book of James says, no, you not that your life is a baby. That's your life right there. Very short. All the sun, all the days of your vanity, short life. This is your portion in life. And in the labor you perform under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all you might. You say, I want to follow you. What does God want me to do with my life? All right, read it. Love your wife, enjoy her, go home and eat and enjoy your life. And be at work on time. And be the best worker there. So I, doesn't he want me to win Mozambique or become a missionary to the Amazon? Enjoy your life, enjoy your wife, enjoy your dinner and show up for work on time. This is your heritage. And, and the joy that people find, it's just such a, such a blessing. Let's do one more. Turn one more page, chapter 12. All right. I, uh, I, I, you'd be surprised what I waste my time doing. I study day and night. I'm just one of them people. I was born to study. And I, I, I go to this website. It's a scholarly website where only great scholars comment on the issues of life. They are lost as a ball in high weeds, but I enjoy watching. You know, Harvard, Yale, that type crowd. And uh, they discuss, and they, basically, you know what they do? They just start here, use big language, make a circle all the way around the track, just like NASCAR, and come right back where they started. That's about all they do. Just round and round the track we go, no wisdom whatsoever. I want you to look at one verse in the Bible. Verse chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Stop right there. I want you to listen to what God said. I'll put it all in one word for you. The meaning of life. One word, honor God, that's it. You want to know what life's all about? Put me first. I created you. I'm the one who can manage it. All that jibber jabber and all the internet chatter that we hear, all these opinions, all these ideas, put Jesus first. You just heard everything you need to hear for a great life. 
He said, let me just, I'll, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let me distill life down to one sentence. And in his kindness, he brought it down to that and made it that simple. There's two kinds of people. Those who are living on purpose and those who just get up and see where the day takes them. Well, you were not created to just putter through life. You're created to live on purpose. The problem is we got to find out what my purpose is. What's the reason for living? And I think, you know, I think religion's missed it bad. Greatest statement I ever heard in my life outside of the Bible. Uh, many churches start their services with what's called the Westminster Short Catechism. And it simply means this is the meaning of life. And they were asked, these great scholars were asked, put the whole meaning of life in one sentence. I think they did it. They nailed it. Here's the Westminster Short Catechism. And this is how they start their services. The chief aim of man, which is the reason I was created, the reason I'm on the planet. The chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. They start their services with that. I think I told you I had to change it just a little bit. Please do not tell them scholars I changed their thing because they don't like to be messed with, especially by truck drivers. But to, it really did need some correcting according to the Bible. So I changed one word in there. The chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. You know what I was created to do? Enjoy God. I was created to put him at the center of my life, listen to his voice, sing to him and praise him and enjoy him. And then when you enjoy God, you will glorify him without even trying. All this religion, trying to get people to behave and trying to get my kids to do right and trying to get y'all to stop cussing. I don't care whether you cuss or not. It matter to me. I wasn't created to live like that. I was created to enjoy God. The reason I was in created was to enjoy him and everything else follows that. All right, let me, let me quit and point something out to you. Only when I live to enjoy God does everything else fall in place. All right, I'm, I'm just a young preacher just starting out. My first church, I was a helper, a music, youth, all that stuff. I was still in college and as an old preacher there, he was in his 80s. I'm in my 20s. His name was Dr. McGriff. He had, had two doctor's degrees. I used to call him Dr. Doctor. He used to make him ill. Name of Doc, I called him Dr. Doctor. Dr. McGriff. And uh, he was giving me, he'd give me advice all the time, whether I wanted it or not. And uh, I just loved him dearly. And he said, son, let me help you. You're going to be asked to do marriage counseling all your ministry. He said, don't do it. I said, don't say nothing else. I'm happy. He said, no, let me, he said, let me explain to you why not. You'll spend hours and hours and hours listening to a bunch of nonsense and working your way through the briar patches. He said, let me tell you about marriage. Marriage is like the spokes on a bicycle, son. Don't try to get the people close to each other. Get both of them to get close to God. And like the spokes on a bicycle, the closer they get to God, the closer they'll get to each other. That's all they told me. I've never heard anything smarter in my life. Then put Jesus at the center. Marriages are healed when Jesus gets at the center. You can either have years and years of counseling and heartache and tears, or you can just put Jesus at the center of your life and let two people come together like that. He said, don't waste your time trying to get churches to straighten out. Get them on their knees. Get them close to Jesus. Everything will be fine. He said, when Jesus comes first, everything else works out. I, I learned a lot from that old man, Dr. McGriff, and he was helping me out. The only thing does everything prosper. All right, let me quit with this. You ever heard of a wasted life? You know, we see a guy laying under a bench somewhere, drunk, nasty sleeping bag over him. You think, what a waste of life. Is that a wasted life? Is that the only life that's wasted? All right, let's see what the scripture says about this. <clears throat> uh, let, let's look at something. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Maybe you've never been told this before. Uh, one day your life's going to come to an end. Oh, you didn't need to be told that. You know that. Somebody, I remember somebody asked me when I was 55, what's, what's middle age like? How many 110-year-old people walking around? I wasn't middle age. I sure ain't middle age now. Son, I'm all up into the fourth quarter right now. There's no problem. People say, I'm ready to die. Don't sound like it to me. <laughs> no, to depart and be with Christ is far better. We got to get over this death thing. Either this book is true or it's not. Either what this man says is true or it ain't. And what he says is true. I don't know if you knew this or not, but everybody should hear this one time in their lives. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? You know what contempt is, don't you? Look down your nose at him. 
Watch these words. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. Each of us shall give account of his life to God. All right. Does that include Elon Musk? How about Oprah? Does that include everybody? Everybody's going to stand for the creator and their life is going to be evaluated. And we're going to get to look at our lives through his eyes and look back. And uh, there, there's one problem with the metric that's used. Now, this is what I'm fixing to say. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said this. And, and in that day, on the last day, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. See, what are, what are we so excited about in, in, in our culture? What are we so excited about? Movie stars, people make a lot of money, uh, people that accomplish great athletic feats. Is that really the reason we were put on this earth? I'm not knocking that. Congratulations, folks who can do that. Bless you. Is that really why we were put on this planet? What do you think the Bible means when it says those many who are first will be last on that day? You're going to find out you wasted your life. You weren't created to live for you. But what does it mean the last will be first? Little housewife down in Sampson County, never traveled outside the county, never went to college, never wrote a book, never got on American Idol, but she put Christ at the center of her life, loved her husband, loved her children, taught in a little Baptist Sunday school. Jesus will say, there's a superstar right there. So, so what, what he, when Jesus said, I'm going to turn the metric upside down, you're living for the wrong thing. Uh, that my friend Charlie Daniels, wrote one of the greatest songs ever, you're praying to the wrong God. And Jesus is going to turn the metric upside down. You, so the, I would encourage you with this. You've put Jesus at the center of your life. You say, look at all these. I'm nothing compared to those people. Let me make an announcement. The final judgment has not come in yet. Do not live for the meat that perishes. Live for the meat that will endure for eternity. We, we got to start. We got to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. What do you want your life to end up being? When you stand before Jesus, what do you want it to be? You know, I think one of the greatest movies ever made was Rocky. Number one. <laughs> I think it's Rocky One's the greatest soundtrack ever came out. Great music. And uh, Sylvester, he, I love him. He's a hoot. Made $400 million on movies. This past week, his home fell apart and his wife left him. What would it profit a man? I noticed Ed put his house up for sale. Got it, on, got it for fire sale price, $35 million, waterfront in Florida. What would it profit a man to be that miserable? All that money, all that fame. And you notice what I noticed about old Sylvester also? He started bending over a little bit there. I don't think he could take Apollo today. We got to quit living for right now. We need to enjoy this day. And this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. But I need to start looking down the road and realize I want my life to count for something eternally. It's not about who made the most money. It's about who trusted Jesus, who put Jesus first. And we need to, we need to get this thing, we need to get it back around. And do not fall for the siren sound of, man, that looks good right there. We need to let Magnetic North be this book right here. We need to let be, this be the thing that drives our lives. Now, <clears throat> I found a little experience. Here, I'm done. Okay, I'm done. Here, close my Bible. Okay. Right, I'm a young man, and I've been taught all this stuff. Everybody's got a value system. Everybody thinks this is important, this is important, this is not. And your value system is shaped by factors, your family, the media, whatever's important to you. It's different to different people. Right, I grew up being taught, you know, it's, it's all this stuff. And that if you want to really be happy in life, you've got to get all this stuff. And for some reason, only the kindness of God, I began to meet different people as just a young man, even before I was a preacher. I'd be got saved to meet people. And the funniest thing happened to me. I began, I've been blessed to meet a lot of millionaires in my life and to get to spend time with them. And the funniest thing happened. If money can make you happy, we're missing something. And then I met some country folks who were bag boys at the Piggly Wiggly. That was their career. Lived in a little white frame house. One old Buick. Y'all young people know what Buicks are. Okay. <laughs> one old Buick. Ate out of the garden. There's such a peace about those people. 
and a happiness about them and a contentment about them. And I began to question what my nation was teaching me. And you know what I found out? I'd been lied to. Then I began to read this book. Guess what I found out? He who created the heavens and the earth knows what he's talking about. And a great life, a great life is not measured by your billfold, your bicep, your belt line, or your bank account. (laughs) It's when Jesus is at the center of it. I love people. I really care about, I think we're missing it in this land right now. I'm not mad at people. I feel so sorry for people watching the way they live. I'm not, I'm not an angry bird preacher who says, y'all straighten up. That, that's not it at all. I just think you are wasting your life. Wasting your life. God created you for something better than this. Put him at the center and see what he does with you. And uh, I, I don't care whether you become the next Billy Graham, God bless you. Or whether you, you raise three godly children and you sew in a knitting mill. It don't matter to me what you do. The reason is why do you do it? And who's at the center of everything? All right, I've warned y'all. When you get there, I don't want you saying my preacher never told me. I told you. I told you what the deal was. Lord Jesus, we loved you so much. I, I pray that you would strip it all away. Take all the lies and all the nonsense and all. Dear Jesus, we're living in a day of such hype and such chatter. There's so much racket on the line today, Lord Jesus. So many voices screaming. Lord Jesus, my heart aches for teenagers, young people and teenagers especially. All these voices that are screaming at them saying, this is, what, this is the reason to live. This is the reason to live. Lord Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room, especially for my teenagers in this area. Break through. Let your voice come through that crystal clear, sweet voice of the Father that says, uh-uh, follow me. I'll get you where you want to go. Follow me. My plans are better. Lord Jesus, I am so tired of watching people's dreams collapse and people say, vanity. This has all been vanity. I thought this would make me happy, but it's vanity. You have never left anybody in a vain life. I pray for every person in this room, just one simple heart decision made every morning, I will follow you. Jesus, be the center of it all. I don't care whether I'm a famous preacher or a bus driver. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care whether I work in a carpenter shop or, well, Lord, I started to say Congress. I don't go to Congress. I'd rather be a carpenter. No matter what we do or how much money we've got to do it with, who do we do it for? Please be at the center of everything. Be our reason for education. The purpose of education, Lord Jesus, is to bring you glory, ultimately. Not make money, but to bring you glory. Thank you. And I want to thank you for all the things you've blessed us with. Sex is one of the greatest ideas you ever had. You created food for us to enjoy. You created outdoor pleasures. You put the fish out there for me to catch. You, you, you paint the sunset for us to... You've been so good to us. But if any of those things ever captures our hearts, we lose it all. I pray that you alone would be at the center. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray. Amen.